Well, good morning, uh, spiritual family. My name is Kyle. I get to be one of the pastors here at Regen. Today is Sunday, the 24th of January. And let me just tell you a little bit about what's happening this morning. Late this week, we found out that a couple of our team members who are a vital part of putting together our Sunday morning gatherings were feeling unwell with uh, what we have been describing as not COVID because it's not but it's still sickness and we wanted to keep that isolated and so we had to get creative and so this afternoon it's thursday for me right now uh, preston and i are here in the sanctuary doing a pre-record of really just a super simplified service uh, to just be able to connect with you it's really important to us in this season that we stick together as a spiritual family even if we have to kind of limp our way through it and so this morning that's what we're doing this morning It's just me, and I'm so glad to be with you. We'll be meeting in person on Sunday morning and instead of live streaming and taxing the volunteers that are going to kind of step in, uh, here we are with you this way. Speaking of sticking together as a family, uh, you'll be receiving a text shortly uh, with a link to our digital communication card. Just want to invite you at some point in the service this morning to let us know that you were here watching and share those prayer requests with us. Our oversight team receives those and prays through those throughout the week. And so that's just one of the ways that we exercise some spiritual care for our our family. And uh, one of the things that I just want you to know is that you're loved and you're seen and that we really want to empower everybody to be making the right decision and for themselves and for their family in this season. And so uh, we miss you. We love you. We're eager for a day that we have more chairs on this space and we can be together again. Just want to share with you a couple of other quick updates. Uh, Our J-term groups end this week, and then the next big event on our calendar will be our next day of prayer, which will be Wednesday, the 17th of February, otherwise known as Ash Wednesday. And just like we've done in previous days of prayer, you'll have the opportunity to sign up for a 15-minute slot to pray. We'll provide you a guide to pray through that. There will be some Zoom prayer gatherings throughout the day. And then that night, we will come together for a a prayer gathering. It's going to just be a little bit different than our usual prayer gatherings. There will be some prayer, but given that it's Ash Wednesday, we'll be doing a little bit more worship and Uh, some other pieces like that that night. And so that'll be Wednesday, the 17th of February. Also, just if you haven't already, save the date. Our next Naturally Supernatural workshop is the first weekend of March, March 5th and 6th, and we'll be getting details and times and all of that to you soon. Just want you to be saving those dates. One of the ways that we've really come together and grown as a spiritual family is through generosity this year. And I'm really just thankful for this giving liturgy and for all of the ways that it reminds us to be uh, who we are in this season. Uh, As I'm pulling together this document, I'm realizing I don't have it pulled up. And so hold on one second while I grab that because I feel like I have it memorized, but then nothing like having to do it on the fly to make you unsure of that. The words will be on the screen as we pray together. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, 
whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and show what you are like to all the world. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 9, Acts 9, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for your presence and your nearness that even when we're surprised by circumstances outside of our control, you are good, that you are near and that you provide all that we need. And so, Father, for my brothers and sisters who are at home this morning, I pray uh, your presence would be near, that we would hear your voice, and that we would do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at Saul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and we called this experience not a conversion, but a homecoming or a eureka. Saul doesn't change teams. He doesn't engage in comparative religion. Instead, what he what happens as Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus is that everything comes into blinding clarity as he hears Jesus speaks to him, speak to him and he hears Jesus's commission to take the gospel of the kingdom to Gentiles, kings, and to the people of Israel. Last week we looked at that encounter and the immediate uh, moments when Ananias came and the scales fell from Saul's eyes, but what happens next? That's what we're going to look at this morning starting in Acts 9 verse 19. And as you're turning there, I just want to reflect on what's happening contextually. Acts 9, 1 through 31, it's the telling of Saul's homecoming. But Luke records Paul telling his story two other places, in Acts 22 and in Acts 26. And Paul himself talks about this experience and the events that follow in Galatians 1 and 2 and in 2 Corinthians 11. In other words, we have multiple accounts of Saul's experience on the Damascus Road and the events that immediately follow it. And the way these stories are told, we have to do some work to line them up. The stories aren't competing. They aren't contradictory. They are told for different reasons, and so the author includes different material each time. Here's a moment that happens a lot in our marriage and maybe happens to you and yours uh, if you're married. We'll be somewhere, I'll be telling a story. It's a story that Steph has told before and I will tell a detail and she'll look at me and she'll say, I didn't know that part of the story. It's not that I was hiding that part of the story. It's that something about as I was telling the story to that audience evoked a part of the memory that maybe I hadn't mentioned before. It's, it's a difference of audience. That's why there's a difference between the Galatians and the Corinthians and Acts account of what happens to Saul after his encounter with Jesus on the road. And I'm bringing this up because sometimes we read the Bible and as we get into scripture more and more, we might see things that look like contradictions. And our immediate response is, oh, the Bible's contradicting itself. And somehow we've been trained to think, therefore, the Bible is less trustworthy. It's not that the Bible is contradicting itself, is that you're reading a library, you're reading 66 different books by multiple different authors with different viewpoints and different audiences, and so it's our work to faithfully harmonize that in a way that makes sense, which is what we're going to do today with Paul's account in 2 Corinthians 11 and Galatians 1, and here with Luke's account in Acts 9. So let's look at Acts 9, starting in the second half of verse 19. 
It says, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Now remember, Saul experiences Jesus on the road. He's taken to the city of Damascus where he is blind. He doesn't eat for three days. A guy named Ananias comes, lays hands on him, scales fall from his eyes. It says, then Saul stayed with the Christians in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. The synagogues are the places where faithful Jews met for worship. And he would say, he, Jesus, is indeed the Son of God. Verse 21, all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Uh, In the words of of, uh, Michael Scott, my, 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 how the turntables, right? Because what's now happening is Saul went there on behalf of Jews to persecute Christians. Now he's among Jews on behalf of Christians preaching Jesus. He gets up, he starts preaching, and he blows everyone's hair back. And that's not surprising because we've, we've established that Saul's knowledge of the scripture is just nothing to shake a stick at. By this time, teaching and debating would have been second nature to him. So all who hear him are amazed. They can't believe who is preaching to them. They can't believe what is being preached to them. And Luke, by the way, he's in cre- creating these intentional overlaps between the beginning of Jesus's ministry in Luke 4 and the beginning of Paul's ministry here in Acts 9. Both Jesus and Saul, soon to be Paul, preach salvation in a synagogue. Both Jesus and Saul amaze their hearers. Both Jesus and Saul develop enemies right from the start. Verses 22, uh, verse 22 says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was the Messiah Verse 23, after a while, some of the Jews uh, plotted together to kill him. He's a powerful preacher. He's making powerful enemies. Verse 23 in the NLT, it says, after a while, Jews plotted to kill him. Other translations just say, when sufficient days were fulfilled. Somewhere in this period of time, sometime after these first few sermons, where there's a plot to kill him, Saul leaves town. Some scholars think it may uh, be before Saul's preaching began. Others think, and I'm agreeing with them, that Saul left as the ire of the Jews increased. Paul tells us in Galatians 1, starting in verse 15, a section where Paul is being autobiographical. He says, even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. That's borrowing from Jeremiah. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Whereas Luke just kind of pictures Saul staying in Damascus, Saul elsewhere says, well, actually, I was in Damascus, I went to Arabia, and I came back. He went to Arabia, uh, at this time the territory known as the Sinai Peninsula. You have Egypt, you have the Sinai Peninsula, and then you have the Holy Land. The Sinai Peninsula is where Israel wandered for 40 years. It's where other significant figures and other significant moments of Scripture happen. N.T. writes suggests that not only did Saul go preaching, Uh, in the Sinai area, as if to live into his call to preach to the Gentiles right off the bat. He also went to Sinai for another reason. He writes this, 
Mount Sinai is where God had come down in fire and had given Moses the Torah. It was the place of revelation, the place of law, the place where the covenant between God and Israel, established earlier with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was solemnly finished. Sinai, the great mountain in Arabia, was in that sense the place of beginnings. It was the place to which subsequent generations looked back as the starting point of the long and checkered relationship, the often shaky marriage between this strange, rescuing, demanding God and his willful, stiff-necked people. Last week, our assertion wasn't that Saul is having a conversion. He's having a homecoming, and to flesh that homecoming out, to flesh out this rethinking everything he's ever known in the light of Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Messiah, he goes back to the beginning, because sometimes you have to go back before you go forward. Sometimes you have to go back before you go forward. So Saul goes back to the beginning. And he right, notices another overlap in this moment between Saul's story and the story of someone else who went to Sinai, namely Elijah. We brought up Elijah last week saying that Elijah would have served as inspiration for Saul's zeal, not his just his passion, but his violent defense of the faith of Israel. Elijah goes toe-to-toe with false prophets of the god Baal, and when he wins out, when Yahweh wins out, those prophets are put to the sword. In 1 Kings, the story goes on to say that because of this, Elijah's life was threatened, just like Saul's life is threatened in Damascus. And so Elijah runs into the Sinai wilderness, just like Saul runs to the Sinai wilderness. Wright goes on to say, the parallel with Elijah, the verbal echoes are so close and the reflection on zeal so exact that Paul must have intended them, indicates that he, like Elijah, made a pilgrimage to Mount Sinai in order to go back to the place where the covenant began. He wanted to go and present himself before the one God to explain that he had been exceedingly zealous, but that his vision, his worldview, had been turned on his head, and he received his instructions, go back and announce the new king. Saul needed to be with the Lord. Something so revolutionary and radical something so revolutionary and revolutionary and radical had happened that Saul needed to rethink everything so Saul goes back to where it began he encounters the Lord and the commission is just like that of uh, Elijah who by the way leaves the Sinai wilderness and goes to Damascus which is where Saul goes back to Saul it says this in Acts 9:24 and 25 they the Jews were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. This season of Saul's life, Damascus, Arabia, back to Damascus, it lasts three years. Luke covers it in just a handful of verses, but it's three years. That's why the believers who lower Saul down over the wall, they're not just anybody. These are his spiritual kids. They're the people that Saul has preached to, who have repented and believed the gospel that Saul has invested in and discipled. They're trying to get their teacher, their spiritual dad, out of danger. And now that he's out of danger and with this ministry under his belt, three years of following Jesus, Saul needs his ministry to be ratified. He needs to prove his bona fides to the apostles in Jerusalem. Verses 26 through 30 say this. 
when Saul arrived in Jerusalem. Remember, this is where the gospel movement began, and it's where the apostles have stayed to direct affairs. He tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. Of course they were afraid of him. Uh, Like a couple years ago, the last anybody had heard of this guy, he was out to kill them. Again, this feels like a conspiracy theory. It feels like fake news. It feels like a trap. It feels like, and by the way, within five to ten years after this incident, it's not uncommon for Roman government officials to pretend to be Christians to spy on this movement. It would not be outside uh, it would not be outside the norm. It would not be a wildest fancy to imagine that Saul is pretending to be a Christian and has even been preaching Jesus for three years as a false teacher to get into the movement. And so, of course, they're afraid to him. It says in verse 26, they did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas thought, brought to him Brought, excuse me, verse 27. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement, he and he and Paul will become co-workers in just a little while. It's Barnabas who kind of serves as an introduction to the apostles. Verse 28 says, So Saul Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. Zeal. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. Saul heads to Jerusalem. He's introduced to the apostles. In Galatians, it says that he primarily speaks to Peter and James, who's the half-brother of Jesus. He's the key leader in the church of Jerusalem. By now, we know enough about Saul. His mind is sharp. His tongue is quick. He's made for debate. So, of course, he gets into trouble again. And so the church sends him to Tarsus, which is where his hometown is. And it's hard to know what they were thinking. It's hard to know why the Jerusalem church sent Saul away. Perhaps his presence made it too dangerous for the rest of them. And it didn't feel worthy to interrupt their strategy uh, with this person that was relatively unknown to them. So Saul is sent home, and catch this, he disappears for 10 years. For 10 years. Uh, N.T. Wright guesses around 36 to 46 A.D., Saul is home in Tarsus. The next time we see him, 10 years will have gone by, a decade. So what does Saul do with himself? Well, we could imagine that Saul didn't live in his parents' basement and play video games. He took up the family business, which was tent-making, He probably spent a great deal of time in prayer and reflection, relearning everything he knew in the light of this Jesus. Saul, when he becomes Paul, would later write, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. Saul didn't make that up. That came out of spiritual capital. Saul didn't know, what Saul didn't know in these 10 years was that the Lord had engaged him in a ministry of preparation, that as he minded his own business, as he prayed, as he meditated further on the scriptures of his ancestors and saw Jesus in the very center of them, that Saul was being prepared for something more. Acts 9 ends this way in verse 31. It zooms out. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Luke gives us a glimpse at the church in Judea and Samaria. 
a church that now includes Galilee. This is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. The church has grown to include even Galilee, and it is a church that has grown in breadth and depth. A healthy church we find is deep and wide. A church grows deep as we live in the fear of the Lord, as we live in holiness and obedience to the Father. The church grows in breadth as we rely on the Holy Spirit and partner with him in mission. This is Luke's way of tying off the narrative of Acts 9 before he moves to Peter. Peter, who is called to reach out to the Gentiles. It starts with some stories that we'll look at next week of Peter performing some miracles. And soon after that, Peter is preaching to Gentiles. But before we finish, I just want to spend a minute thinking about Saul. What I find so interesting about Saul, what got my attention while I was studying for this sermon, is that he meets Jesus. And he waits not years, not months, but only three days to start preaching. Saul's whole world has been turned upside down and wrapped into the story of Jesus. And you would think he should be having a midlife crisis. You would think that he should be talking to his therapist and engaging in self-care and drinking herbal teas and doing yoga and trying to recover from like this crisis so that he can find his way back to his best self. But not Saul. Saul gets to work preaching and teaching. Saul has, admittedly, a ton to learn. He has a ton to relearn, and that, yet that does not stop him from pressing in and going public and sharing the gospel with anybody who will listen. The news that Saul has discovered, that Jesus is the Messiah, the faith of Israel in the flesh, he's discovered that this is, it's just too good not to share. It's too true to keep to himself. A few weeks ago, we released a spiritual growth survey. 58 of you completed it. Thank you so much. That's a really great response rate. And in it, we asked you, uh, we asked you a lot of things, but one of the questions, if I listen to one more talk, then I'll be ready. And I think if we were being honest, I think if I were being honest, my desire to know far outpaces, far exceeds my desire to act. I think if I were being honest, I think if you were being honest, we might be able to recognize that what we are looking to, intellectual knowledge, it will give us some comfort. But what we're really called to do is rely on the Holy Spirit. And what's worse, we know that Jesus says that we're called to tell others, but we let ourselves off the hook. We say, I'm not ready. We assume there's a minimal level of knowledge, a minimal level of understanding required to tell others about Jesus. So if you were to ask Saul, if you were to say, are we good? Cool. All's well. I just wanted to make sure Preston was making a face. It's probably because I'm offending him. <laughs> he says I'm not. If we were to ask Saul, if we were to say, hey Saul, do I wait until I know enough about the gospel? Do I study? Do I think? Do I reflect? Do I learn for a set amount of time before I get to work, or do I just get to work? Saul's answer would be, why do you have to choose? Saul's answer would be, learn everything that you can while doing everything that you can. Saul would say that being a follower of Jesus is being a teacher and a learner at the very same time. Being a disciple of Jesus is about being a learner and a teacher at the very same time. 
You may say that Saul has an unfair advantage, that he's professionally trained in the scriptures and pretty much the whole Old Testament is memorized to him. And you may think, I'll never be as smart as Saul. And that's probably true. I think Saul might be one of the smartest people to ever live. But let me tell you what, you have an unfair advantage. American Christians in this moment, and really for the last 60 years, 70 years, we have an unfair advantage. We have access to more Christian resources, more books, more magazines, more podcasts, more radio shows, more sermons. We have access to more content than the early church could have ever imagined to be possible. You may not have the smarts, but you do have the access. You may not have the brains, but you do have the resources. But before you had the resources, here's what you had. You had Jesus himself living inside of you from the very moment you said yes to him. Paul says in Philippians that we have the mind of Christ. Jesus has made us his preferred, prefer, he's made us his preferred dwelling. He has given us access to every blessing in the spiritual places. And that the very moment you said just yes to Jesus, you received a commission just like Saul did to preach the gospel. And that commission is the only qualification you need to go and tell others. You don't have to choose before going out and getting ready. And in this new mission field that we're stepping into, into this place that is foreign and familiar at the same time, let me tell you what, we can't wait to choose. The very moment you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to being a learner and a teacher at the same time. The very moment you said yes to Jesus, you, you decided that you weren't just becoming a follower, you were becoming a leader. You weren't just becoming a disciple, you were becoming a disciple maker. But you say, Kyle, I wanna know more, I really want to understand. Then what I say to you is go do those things. Study, read, listen. Listen to podcasts, listen to talks, read articles, pick up your Bible, get to praying. Heck, ask somebody in our community who you see as having a lot of spiritual maturity to invest in you. But while you're at it, get to work. Ask good questions. Pray for lost people. Offer to pray for your family members and your coworkers and your neighbors and then pray for them on the spot in that moment out loud. Pursue relationships with people who are far from God. Don't get so church busy in this season that you don't have room for, for the lost people. And as you're going about going to basketball games and eating out and doing all the things that you're doing, have eyes open to the mission field that Jesus has placed you in. Ask the Father for eyes to see the people in the room that need to know you. Ask God for a heart that breaks for the least the last and the last. And my friends, will you feel nervous? Absolutely. Will you feel inadequate? Yes, you will. Will you feel uncomfortable? Of course. But here's the promise. My worry is that we spend so much time trying to compensate for our weaknesses and our inadequacies with knowledge and podcasts and books that we're covering over and filling in the cracks where God works best because he says when I because scripture says when I am weak then I am strong it's in the moment that you feel weak it's in the moment that you feel uncomfortable it's in the moment that you feel awkward that Jesus is most available to you that his power is made perfect in your weakness and so my friends Jesus 
has saved us and called us to himself, his cross and his empty tomb have brought us into a new and life-giving way. We have access to the Father, we have peace, and he has taken hold of us so that we would take hold of that for which he has taken hold of us. He has taken hold of us so that we would in turn take hold of that for which he has taken hold of us, to join him in the renewal of all things, to multiply and mobilize in the way of Jesus. And so my friends, as we close today, I just want to invite you and challenge you and tell you, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything he has commanded us, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when you are afraid and when you feel inadequate, remember he is with you until the end of the age. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are watching right now, and I pray that you would bring to the forefront of their mind one of the people that they just want to be for. Someone who doesn't know you that needs their time and attention and investment, their presence to know you. Father, would you help uh, us to see the people in our lives that don't know you and have hearts that are tender and broken? for people around us. This we pray in the name of the one who had a heart that was tender and marked with brokenness for us and for our condition and came to get us. His name is Jesus. Amen. Y'all, I, I know that this is different than what I, we would usually, the way we would usually be connecting on Sunday mornings. We love you and want to hold us together. I'm praying for you. We'll, we'll see you soon. Grace and peace.